Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Welcome. Welcome. So it's been a couple weeks. I was in the middle of a move across country. I'm living in LA now. It's really great. Um, change of pace for sure. But yeah, that's why we haven't done a podcast. I sincerely apologize. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for donating on Patreon and for getting on our asses to get one going. It, there's so much happening every day that it's really, really hard to keep up. Um, Trump is going a million miles a minute with uh, ramming, you know, all this shit down and destroying the country really quick. So let's talk really briefly about what's going on um, before we get into the meat of once again, the Russia hacking allegations, um, vault seven, et cetera. Um, one thing that just came out, Robbie was a poll that really, really says it all, you know, here we are, you know, everyone's kind of on the same page about Trump or the majority of people in this country are very appalled. They're abhorred. Um, but the thing is the opposition that we've been given is the democratic party. Obviously Hillary was the worst, least liked candidate, um, in decades if not ever in the history of this country, next to Trump. Um, They keep trying to shove these corporate clay candidates down our throats um, without adopting any sort of populism or any sort of real value system. Um, And they have nothing to stand for, right? So this poll from Suffolk University illustrates just how insanely unpopular the Democratic Party is and, and really it's kind of upsetting. Pence has a popularity rating of 47%. Trump is at 45%. The GOP as a whole is at 37%. Media, 37%. And then the Democratic Party, 36%. Hillary, 35%. Congress, 26%. So basically, in other words, the Democratic Party has a favorability rating 11 points lower than Pence, 9 points lower than Trump, and even a point lower than the GOP. So... I mean, what this shows me is that Trump's just going to be president for the next eight years, or at least the GOP is going to be controlling the House, the Senate, everything for a long ass time. And already things have gone so haywire. It's like, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in another year, let alone seven. Yeah, the Democrats just keep digging themselves in a deeper and deeper hole, thinking that you know, rallying their troops about this Russia-Trump collusion theory and all these these things that are ultimately distractions are, are somehow gonna gonna get them to either impeach Trump or delegitimize his presidency or somehow rally their base. And it's the worst possible, most dangerous way to rally their base that I can think of um, to turn their base into like Cold Warrior minions, basically. And I mean, there's actually town halls now where for a while it was, you know, people going to town halls demanding that, you know, uh, the, their senators and Congress people, you know, instate a better, you know, like they don't remove Obamacare completely. They keep, you know, certain things in place. And there was a lot of anger about that. And then now, um, you see pictures of town halls and watch video of, and it's a lot of people screaming about Russia and holding signs with a hammer and sickle next to Trump's face and stuff like that. Um, and that's that's really sad because the Democratic Party, the top, you know, the top levels of the Democratic Party are the ones putting that stuff out and getting it to go down to the masses um, when instead they should be trying to connect with the regular person, the person who's struggling, um, you know, the people who can't get clean water. I mean, still, there's so many problems in the United States that the Democrats don't seem to be plugging into still. Um, They're just like an empty suit party. 
Their, yeah. th- their whole strategy is look at how bad Trump is. Well, you can't, we can't let that happen again. So just vote for us. That's literally their strategy. Totally well, did, not tapped into huge grassroots movements, everything from $15 an hour minimum wage to the Dakota Access Pipeline, zero. Yeah, zero. And did you? And speaking of that it's all about hanging on Trump, did you see that Wesleyan Media Project study um, from 2006 where they studied all of the campaign ads uh, going all the way back to Bush and Gore? No. And they found that... Uh, so basically the study was which, you know, what, what candidates had more policy discuss or like had policy discussion versus attack ads that were, or, you know, if there were like personal attack ads or policy ads. And so it goes through every past election since Bush and Gore, and it shows that Clinton vastly outnumbered every previous election since Bush and Gore for personal attack ads. And like what? one... 20th of her ads were actually policy-based and the rest are all personal attack ads on Trump. And compared to Trump, I'd say about 40% were personal and 60% or so were policy-based. Wow. So that says it all. That's absolutely disgusting that they're trying to tell us that Hillary Clinton lost based on a Russians hacking the election and meddling with our election. And here we have proof just in one like graph that she ran a terrible, terrible campaign, <laughs> horrible, that Trump had more policy meat in his uh, campaign ads than Hillary did. That's shocking. Well, you, I think you're the one who brought it up to me. Like, this says it all. What is the strategy of the Democratic Party to take back the government from Republicans? And not only what is the strategy, what, what do they represent? What do they believe in? No yeah. one knows. Yeah. Nothing. I'm with Nothing. her. <laughs> Vote for me because I'm a woman. I mean, want to be the first woman president. I mean, that was literally one of their strongest uh, talking points that I can remember them talking about. I mean, when the Ellison thing happened, and that, of course, is also tokenistic. The the head of the DNC, the DNC chair, you, you can only do so much. It's not going to change anything from a core standpoint of, of the Democratic Party or why it's so corrupted. But still, they could have tokenistically gave people Keith Ellison. <laughs> you know, they could have thrown that um, um, to, to hungry Bernie voters who, who wanted something, even if it was symbolic. And they still couldn't even do that. They went on some giant smear campaign about how anti-Israel he was and how he's part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Total dirty tricks campaign tactics. I know. It was like they just continue to double down on all the shit that keeps getting them, you know, to lose elections. It's unbelievable, Robbie. Yeah, the Muslim Brotherhood thing is extra disgusting because it comes from Frank Gaffney, the, the like alt-right friendly neocon guy who's right, who's fueling all these anti-Muslim conspiracy theories. Um, they're really, really disgusting. Um, and before we get into Trump's insane expansion of the military, special operations, booze on the ground, um, I wanted to encourage everyone to watch an interview that I just did with a, a, a former Israeli soldier, combat soldier. His name is Iran Afrati, and he is absolutely amazing. I've never heard someone who has actually served as a combat soldier in Israel saying Palestinians not only have the right to resist, they should. And they should like you know, do everything that they can. Um, to resist the occupation. So that it's a really incredible interview. He's also an Arab Jew and he talks about how, you know, Arab Jews are the most vitriolic and most xenophobic of all um, Israeli Jews because 
they have to basically separate themselves from their Arab identity. It's, it's an extremely fascinating interview, and I'm bringing it up because the UN, even though they've distanced themselves in this report, a UN report just came out that for the first time in history called Israel an apartheid state. So, you know, definitely the tide is changing. It's, it's an exciting time to push forward with this issue. And especially when you have op-eds being written in the New York Times saying, can I be a Zionist and a feminist? The answer is no. Um, because if you're not for women, if you're not an internationalist standing on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Palestine, to Yemen, to, to Saudi Arabia, to America, to those in Flint, um, you're not a true feminist. You're just a feminist for white bourgeois women um, who aren't under the bombs that we're dropping around the world. So <clears throat> really encourage everyone to check it out. It's it's on Empire Files. And also we just did a giant expose on Steve Bannon. Um, so you should check that out and check out Robbie's trailer for part four of A Very Heavy Agenda. <laughs> yeah, we're all uh, we're producing a lot of stuff right now. And your Bannon episode is excellent. I recommend everybody watch that. I haven't watched um, the other episode with this Israeli soldier yet. I didn't even no realize worries. that was out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great because we're now back on the, the weekly grind. So we're pushing him out. Um, we're putting one out about Sikhism. We went to a Gordwara, a Sikh temple in, in um, the greater D.C. area. And it's just really great, especially since Sikhs are being attacked just in the last three weeks and in, in you know the, the story about those two Indian men where one of them was killed in a bar by some guy who said that he thought they were Iranian and then a week prior to that some masked assailant attacked a sick man on his own driveway and said go back to your country and shot him so <clears throat> it, it's really crazy actually that we're living in a time where it, it's actually worse than after 9-11 and it just seems like it's getting worse uh, by the day um and, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about this rebuilding America's defenses mantra that you know better than anyone, Robbie, studying the neoconservatives for so long. But for people who don't know, let's briefly remind them where that started before we get into everything Trump's doing. Well, yeah, the neocons, um, ever since the Soviet Union collapsed, um, starting with Paul Wolfowitz and other people, uh, colleagues of his from the Reagan administration and later the George uh, H.W. Bush senior administration uh, were trying to figure out a way to basically build up our military to the point where we're able to fight multiple large scale theater wars at once because they believe that they're, you know, essentially that a clash of civilizations um, was eventually going to take place, that the collapse of the Soviet Union didn't mean the beginning of an era of world peace. The neocons believe that war is a perpetual state of humankind. Therefore, we need to build up our military to a point where even if we were engaged in like a world war type situation, we'd still be able to come out ahead with having an enormously overblown, you know, military that's more than what we need, basically, is their philosophy. And as soon as Trump, I mean, even before Trump got into office, he was saying we need to build the military to the biggest and strongest point it's ever been. We need to make it stronger. We need to make it bigger. Um, so at the same time, he was saying we don't want to do nation building and we don't want to, you know, keep waging wars in the Middle East. He's saying this, which is really a contradiction because building up military, you know, the military industrial complex, giving them that much of an injection of cash is basically creating a 
minute it's 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 creating pressure and fire that's going to build up and basically push people towards war this is how these things work um so that's that's what's happening now is and he's already proposing uh the budget of how much it's going to be increased he's proposed 603 billion dollars in total defense spending and i guess one of the weird things is it's actually not that much more than what was already being spent um so it's you know, originally, uh, I guess it's only $19 billion more than what President Obama projected for 2008. Um, but they're, they're, they're basically still pushing this. So, to so be it's the, not the $54 billion, the unprecedented defense spending projection? What? It's not $54 billion more? Um, no, I mean, it says, it says $65 billion more in war costs is what mm. it says. So, I mean, it doesn't se- sound like that much more, but this is the f- this is the initial proposal. So if they, you know, keep saber-rattling like they're doing, um, this is just going to keep going up and up. I mean, there's no, there'll be no resistance against right. increases in spending from this moment forward. But what it's, we do yep. know is that Trump already promised to build it up to the highest level it's ever been. Like he's literally right. ca- he's basically said that over and over again. Yeah, and, so, he, and he has the most generals surrounding him since World War II. These people are itching to be a general that's leading a war. You know, that that's their whole career, like, um, that they dream of, is, like, being a four-star general that has, like, a war under their belt. So, you know, all these generals are surrounding him in his ear, um, massaging these ideas into his thick skull. Yeah. Um, the $54 billion increase in military spending, meanwhile, slashing environmental housing, diplomatic educational programs. So let's get this out of the way. I don't support um, a lot of aid programs. I don't support a lot of these like State Department diplomacy programs either. So I could see the appeal to like, yeah, let's just like gut these like fe- like federal balloons, you know, of all these programs and all the, the, the red meat. But the thing is... Um, as Ralph Nader pointed out on Democracy Now! the other day, it, it doesn't attack any sort of corporate subsidies, um, corporate welfare. In fact, it, it's basically a giant gift to corporations. And, and what it's really stripping, other than the EPA, of course, and because, of course, now climate change is off the table as a fake conspiracy. But what it's really doing is, of course, going after the most vulnerable sectors of society, the people on Head Start programs, the people on Meals on Wheels, who literally fucking depend on a, on a free meal every day because these people are so goddamn poor. Half the country is living in poverty. Half the country is living paycheck to paycheck. So I, I know that it's a little bit distant from some people and they don't really understand how bad it really is. Flint doesn't have clean water yet. Hollywood's making movies about Flint. Meanwhile, they're still drinking lead-laden water. So that's what the budget does. One of the journalists asked this guy, Mick Mulvaney, about the budget, who was, I don't know where he was talking. I'm reading a transcript right now, but he was basically saying it's a hard power budget. And the journalist is like, well, isn't it a hard-hearted budget? You're like basically just cutting elderly mothers and kids who need assistance to live. And he was like, no. He was like, in fact, it's the most compassionate budget. It's one of the most compassionate things we can do. And the guy was like, cutting programs that help the elderly and kids is compassionate. And the guy was like, you're focusing on half of the equation. You're focusing on recipients of the money. We're trying to focus on both the recipients of the money and the folks who give us the money in the first place. Basically saying like, it'll all be a wash. 
with the taxpayers later on. Like, what? Yeah, who so, was that guy? I'd never seen him before. Mick Mulvaney. I don't even know who the hell that is. Or He's just another hardline... Sir. Character on Shark Tank or yeah. something. <laughs> really creepy. Oh, and speaking of Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary is now thinking of running for president in Canada. So that that's that's where we're at Which now. one is that on Shark Tank? He's like the really um, hard-ass, crazy guy with the bald head who oh, always Oh, like the guy suit. who plays like basically the villain role on Shark yeah, Tank? Who yeah, who said it was really great shit. news that half the world's wealth was owned by like 62 people. He was like, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. So, you know, this budget is just really, really shocking because going back to the neocon wet dream, it's it's being carried out by Trump and his fringe outliers and generals. Um, when you go into the 50 page budget or so, it's it's just it's absolutely insane how much programs they're cutting for poor people. And if you compare it to like, you know, one day of spending for security for Melania Trump to stay in Trump Tower, it's like equating to like an entire year of paying meals on wheels type thing. Yeah. And this um, comes but, on the yeah. heels of them already announcing that the new Obamacare, you know, Affordable Care Act replacement is going to knock millions of people off of health care. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just such a blow. And, and, and the thing that's interesting is while the media is still focusing, you know, almost 24 seven on this Russia hysteria, like MSNBC, you'll see an occasional report, you know, from CNN or MSNBC, which is actually really hard hitting and good where they'll actually go to, you know, elderly people who depend on meals on wheels, which is one of the programs being cut, even though meals on wheels, only a third of its funding comes from the federal government. That's still enough where if they take away that funding, they might have to shut the whole program down. Um, mm-hmm. And that program, um, you know, obviously feeds a lot of elderly Trump voters. So what CNN did is they actually went to some of these um, areas where there's a lot of Trump voters who depend on Meals on Wheels and just interviewed them. So like, are you disappointed, you know, that Trump is cutting this? And they're, they're, of course they're disappointed and they're shocked. You know, a lot of these people are shocked that they thought that Trump was going to help people um, and they voted for him and that he's actually cutting their, basically what they need to depend on to survive. A lot of these people who depend on Meals on Wheels are, um, you know, geriatric enough where they can't leave the house. Uh, Some of them are paralyzed. A lot of disabled vets depend on Meals on Wheels. So if Trump is talking about helping the veterans... A large amount of the Meals on Wheels goes to veterans. Yeah. It's just, it's really, it, it's just funny how his critics, you know, de- you know, defend him to the very end. You know, they, they won't, it's like they're backing themselves in a corner, especially on stuff like this. And then the Democrats are still yelling about Russia. And it's like, this is a really serious thing that's happening. And this, you know, this actually is an easy way for the Democratic Party to connect with their vote, you know, the voters and the people by pointing out stuff like this more. And instead, they're they're still choosing to focus on Russia. Yeah, exactly. Ralph Nader brings up the point that there's 64 members of House Democrats that have already signed on to John Conyers single payer bill, H.R. 676. And, oh, really? and basically, instead of like pushing single payer as an idea because, you know, the vast majority of Americans actually support single payer. And this is completely insane what's going on. Instead of pushing that, they're they're silencing everyone. They're saying, don't bring it up. Um, right now, we just have to fight Trump. You know, how, how sad. 60% of Americans support this. 
Um, and not only that, but let's just say really quickly how many people die from a lack of healthcare every year. I think it's 35,000 people every year because they can't afford health insurance or to get diagnosed and treated in time. 35,000 people Jesus in America. Christ. 35,000 people, and that's from the Harvard Medical School, uh, a journal of public health in 2009 study. Um, 60,000 people due to pollution, and then 58,000 people lose their lives every year due to workplace-related diseases and trauma. Basically, other things that could be prevented if we had a proper bureaucratic government that um, actually you know, applied regulations in a correct way and not just on behalf of corporations. Um, and, and the last thing that I'll say is that, once again, the budget, if you think that Trump is, is doing a good job by slashing all these agencies and building up the military to an unprecedented level, not in an actual wartime, um, he doesn't attack any sort of corporate crime, fraud, or abuse within the budget that already exists. And this is also like multiple agencies have outlined how much of our budget expenditures literally just goes to waste because of computerized billing fraud. And it's like 10%, I think. Some unsa- so it's like, basically what I'm trying to say is if this businessman who wants to run the country like a goddamn business really wanted to run an efficient business, well, he's not doing a very good job, is he? No. I mean, that's the funny part about this is he's he's already... It's it's just like for, I, you know there was people who were who were saying you know when he comes in he's gonna govern like a businessman and like test run things and if they're unpopular with the public you know he's gonna change to like new platforms just like a you know a corporation would if they're like losing profits or if you know they get a lot of like boycotts they'll change their behavior or whatever um, it doesn't seem like Trump is really going in that direction it seems like he's being driven by like a really dumbed down very, very extremely right-wing conservative worldview. I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious that right. he just buys into some of the worst aspects of, you know, what brain-dead conservative people believe in. Um, and and it's actually hurting conservative people who voted for Trump. I mean, that's the... I mean, I, I wish I felt more sorry for these people, but, I mean, that you voted for, you know, this guy. I'm not saying that they should have voted for Hillary instead, but, you know... He, it's not like he's he's doing anything hoodwinked. super shocking. He yeah. said he was going to do all these things. right? Um, and we know how much Paul Ryan was salivating at the idea of uh, eliminating Medicaid and Medicare. I mean, the, yeah. these people have been laying out this agenda for a long, long time. You guys got hoodwinked. I'm sorry. Yeah. It sucks. Um, and let's And now let's get into just what he is doing militarily because it is truly shocking. Already within i don't know has even been in office for more than what is it march so yeah i mean barely like two months right yeah um so he has already approved uh, so many drone strikes and special operations forces attacks in in god knows how many countries it's basically a 432 percent increase from drone king obama and when i bring this up of course half the respondents are like well, what about Obama? Or like, what was he supposed to do? Obama already had this in place. Like the CIA is just like acting on its own. It's like, no, every drone strike is approved by the president. That, that's just bottom line. I'm sorry. Stop blaming everything that Trump is carrying out on like the deep state. Trump is the deep state. He's the goddamn sitting president of the empire surrounded by generals and billionaires that he handpicked. Yeah. This deep we state talk argument about is that. really just... We should talk about that whole dynamic a little later, this deep state thing, because yeah. it is really... 
it's really bugging me how many people and smart people that I respect yeah. are still sort of peddling this idea that Trump is not running the ship and that he's being thwarted at every turn by this so-called deep state. Right. Um, to me, it's right. just as problematic as saying that Russia like manipulated our election. I mean, it's, it's, it's mostly baseless. I mean, yeah, there's it's like obviously... An, it's like total simplification on like what the actual, you know, like who's pulling the strings in government kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, if anything... You know, maybe Obama did have evidence that he wanted to try to like undermine Trump's presidency with and then like let that sort of sitting there, you know, and and was hoping that it would leak at some point. I mean, that's maybe the worst case scenario. And I don't even know if I buy that necessarily. Um, You know, like I just yeah, like having the Flynn transcript mm -hmm. leak or, you know, those kind of things. I don't know. It's just so obvious to me. It's like there's different factions of the ruling class. They they all kind of lost a lot of the ones that had been in power for a long time lost a lot of power with Trump. So of course they're trying to regain it, but it doesn't mean that the ruling class and elites and billionaires and generals and, and deep state aspects of the military industrial complex are in power. It's just an outrageous theory. It's like, of course, of course that isn't a thing. Of course, Trump isn't trying to unseat the empire. And, and that's, that's what kills me too. It's like, people are like, yeah, that deep state really wants Trump out. It's like, you can look at JFK and everyone's passing around that that quote from JFK saying he wants to splinter the CIA into a million pieces. Mm -hmm. and that's funny because what Trump's doing is actually expanding the hell out of the military, expanding drone strikes, expanding special operations, putting goddamn boots on the ground in multiple countries. Hmm, doesn't really seem like he wants to splinter the CIA in a million pieces, does it? No, and what's funny is he just did something unprecedented where he took away the final... like the Pentagon was able to, was, was supposed to be like the final stamp of approval for actually authorizing certain drone strikes. And now the CIA can run those operations completely on their own, separate from the Pentagon. He just gave nice. them more power. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty goddamn sad that all these people are still buying into this underdog Trump scenario crazy. I, I mean, regardless of if there are forces holdovers from the Obama administration trying to undermine his presidency, I'm sure that's happening on some level, but that doesn't mean that Trump is somehow some underdog fighting the deep state. He's a fucking bloodthirsty militarist who wants to increase the military industrial complex to levels that has never been before. Exactly. It's exactly. Just, how could th those two together don't make sense? Right. Exactly. And it's like a this America first thing has tricked people into thinking like, oh, like basically their interpretation of globalism is like America's not helped by these trade deals and shit. Of course it is. Why do you think that we've prospered so much on the backs of the third world and developing world over the past 50 years? You're saying that NAFTA didn't help us? It's just insane. You know, it's 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 people who like bought into this economic liberalism and capitalism, but for the wrong reasons. Like that's the problem with Steve Bannon and these people is they tap into genuine problems and valid problems of, of neoliberalism and capitalism, but then they just scapegoat the people who are the symptoms. Like yeah, they blame immigrants, it on foreign, refugees, foreign companies, you know, you know foreign yeah. CEOs, immigrants. Um, yeah. And it's like the, this whole idea of like the foreign companies are gutting, gutting the middle class. It's like, no, most of these companies are embody the main values of American capitalism, and they are mostly American companies that became multinational companies. Right. So how is this, quote unquote, 
um, you know, f- it, like the, you know, the term globalism, it does imply some kind of foreign meddling. Like they're mm-hmm. trying to destroy our sovereignty, you know, mm-hmm. like Alex Jones style. America is doing that itself. It's not, right. and it's not just the government that's allowing it to happen. It's these companies that have done this. It just doesn't make sense when you look at it from that perspective. Like how could, it's just such a weird oversimplified and it's, and it is wrapped in some, some kind of umbrella of xenophobia. Oh, when absolutely. It's, when yeah. it's not really addressing the real problem. Like a lot of these problems are at the root American. They're as American as apple pie. Like these problems are defined by what we think of as American values. Right. That's what's so dumb about this. Exactly, Robbie. You just said it perfectly. <laughs> and and that, that was the main critique about the Steve Bannon episode is that I don't get the problems of globalism. I don't get the real threat. And it's like, actually, I do. And I've, I, in the real sense of like, you know what the empire is doing because that to me is globalism like yeah if you want to if you want to paint globalism in a pejorative sense then then yeah the u.s empire and its imperialistic tentacles that have usurped the sovereignty of dozens of other countries yeah, and destroyed them and yeah. killed millions of people that's the globalism that i care about so you can keep bitching about refugees and immigration i'm gonna go to the root baby and yeah, i'm gonna stick with the root it's so pathetic that it's just more, you know, ways to make people fight each other on the lower ends of the spectrum. Like, you know, like fighting the, like demonizing the poor, demonizing mm-hmm, immigrants. Mm-hmm. It's such base level tribalistic bullshit. And, and it's it sad makes that it keeps me working. Yeah. It, it keeps working over and over again. Like, wow, I guess humans are just that stupid, huh? That that just works every generation. We just continue to fight amongst each other, divide and conquer, pit the middle class against the, the middle class or the working class against the working class, you know, whites versus immigrants. It's just, yeah, this it's is sick, man. It's I mean, sick. This is why the fundamentally the alt-right is just, it's a, it's a revolution that, that'll, you know, if they want to call it a revolution, it'll, it's going to just implode eventually because it's not attacking any of the, you know, the heart of any of these real issues. It's stealing things from libertarianism. It's stealing some things from like the far left and then covering them up with like right wing, you know, bigotry and other, another like points of view. Like, um, uh, I mean, just the amount of, I mean, and we need to get back to the way that, you know, more of the generic left, not even the far left, was addressing issues back in like the early 2000s about corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much more talk about corporations back then um, and how awful, you know, some of them were or most of them were. Um, and it just seems like we've moved away from that now on the left. Like it's not, there's not as many people talking about um, those things. Uh, and I don't know why that is. I mean, the left, you know, we've talked about this endlessly on this show, just how much the left has been compromised to just focus their energy into things that, um, you know, some of those things divide us even more like the, the overly leaning on, you know, identity politics to the point Mm -hmm. where it feels almost, you know, exclusionary and like it creates infighting. I mean, that almost takes more focus now than going after the corporatocracy. And that's a problem. I mean, even though identity politics is, does play an important role, it is, eclipse so many other things that it's like how did we get here like we really need to sort of get back to the basics anti-war um anti you know corporatocracy anti-empire um these are very basic things that i think are very easy for most people to grasp but 
um, I just, it just saddens me that they've just almost taken the back seat right now. Yeah, and 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 when you look at the dichotomy of our political spectrum, it's the left is so ostracized and marginalized, and and that's what I keep trying to tell people. Like the left is not in power; they pretty much have never been in power. I mean, when has like a leftist ever been in a in a seat of power in this country? Never. In fact, the government continues to try to crush any sort of socialist leaning leftist ideology because that's that's the corporate run empire ever since the u.s became an empire that was the main prerogative was to smash any sort of threat to that empire and the main threat is leftist ideology of course so of course the the liberal establishment neoliberals have completely abandoned any sort of principles any sort of values and that that has caused this giant rift that you're talking about today where now we don't even know where to go from here because we've been splintered so much where when you look at neoconservatism or the alt-right or all these or the christian fundamentalists like they all have found common ground and guess what they're doing with it now what i mean trump's in office and they're destroying it's like they, they totally are laying out their entire agenda and they've all been able to agree on like the tenets of that agenda you know what i mean and whereas yeah. on the other side it's like the liberals have their heads up their asses. They're blaming Russia. They've toxified the entire debate. And here are these leftists on, out on the, the sidelines um, trying to get momentum in these grassroots movements, and they're just being completely fucking ignored. Well, yeah, and and it's also, there's this genius strategy that's been done on the right for now decades. Well, not decades, maybe like a, a decade to paint people on the left as being the same as, or no, to paint any liberal actually as being this the equivalent as a far right com or far left communist. So anyone who's mm-hmm. left leaning, who's on the left side of the spectrum, is now conflated with Soviet Russia, like oh, Soviet Obama, communism. Remember? Yeah, yeah like, I mean when Obama's depicted Obama as a Marxist, radical then... leftist. <laughs> so what does that do to the dialogue? It's like now, so anyone who's on, so, and that's what's warped you know, a lot of conservatives minds to the point where they, they don't like what you just said, like the media doesn't bring on real leftists. There's no real leftists like involved in politics. They don't understand that that's not their Mm -hmm. reality because their reality has taught them that anyone on the left is a far left radical. Like there's no spectrum for them, which is really fascinating because it, it creates this false reality where now a lot of generic people buy into this idea of the liberal media and, you know, liberal Hollywood and leftist Hollywood or whatever. And they think that that's what the left is when it's not. It's neoliberalism, like you're saying. It's a reigning religion. And even Paul Joseph Watson, his little babyish rants, he's like, we're the counterculture now. We, you know, Hollywood is leftist. This is leftist. This is leftist. It's like everything is leftist except the government now. Like we're... Like you guys are, we're the counterculture and you guys are the establishment. It's like, what in the holy shit are you talking about? You little baby. Yeah. I mean, it's Christ. And the sad thing is it is, it is like, oh, I don't even want to rant about this too much longer, but I know it's just so frustrating. I mean, and just, but just tying it back into Paul Joseph Watson. I mean, here's someone who was vehemently anti-war on terror you know, anti-bombings in the Middle East, and Infowars is sitting back, it completely ignoring all this ramping up of, of Trump's military aggressions, and they're also encouraging military aggressions 
um, they actually were encouraging an attack on North Korea. I watched an entire Infowars episode from the other day after Rex Tillerson, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, former CEO of Exxon, said that no option is off the table with North Korea, specifically mentioned the possibility of a preemptive strike. I don't know if you've seen this guy talk, but he literally seems like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre-like character from like a Tobe Hooper movie. He looks and sounds like a movie villain. He's got this like crazy deep Texan voice. Looks like a JFK like like conspirator or something. I yeah, mean, I mean, he looks like a Roger Stone, like one of those busts, like but yeah, it's fucking really creepy. tight, like plastic skin. Yeah, um, he went to South Korea, and you know, like we were saying before we started the podcast, is that during the during the Bush administration. Yes, that we knew about the seven countries in five years. We knew about the Wesley Clark warning. We knew that they wanted to go into all these countries. We knew that Iraq really boggled them down. But I never, I honestly never really thought North fucking Korea was on on the table, I guess, you know? And so this is the first time that I actually feel like we could go to war with North Korea. <laughs> not only Iran, yeah. not only boots on the ground in Syria yep. and Iraq, North Korea. And... Look, a lot of propaganda is put out there about North Korea. Most of it is fake because it's really, really hard to get actual news on the ground. I'm not apologizing at all. It's a, obviously a horrible country, totalitarian as fuck, and really no media freedom. But North Korea has situated itself into an extremely militaristic, defensive posturing because of what the U.S. has done to them. We can get into the Korean War Um, till our faces are blue. That's a whole other episode, but it it is really important to understand that North Korea will never initiate a first strike. The reason that they have postured themselves into an isolated little hub is because of what the U.S. has done, that they needed a nuclear weapon. If there's anything that dictators and countries know at this point, it's that you need nukes. Otherwise, you will get taken out by the U.S. empire if you do not have nuclear weapons. So that's what they learned early on, and that's why they continue to you know, put this really, really hard line rhetoric out there because they, they're scared. Of course they're scared. Um, and they need to act like they're going to launch a nuclear weapon. If we fuck with them, that's self-preservation baby. And I'm not apologizing for North Korea. I'm just saying it's really important to understand why these things have happened. They didn't just, you know, like why is North Korea separate than South Korea? It's like, there's so many things in history that have happened that the media does not give any context or analysis to that is really, really crucial to understand our geopolitical spectrum right now, especially when we might be going to war with, with North Korea. So Rex Tillerson for the first time really brought this up and he was like, we're going to take a different approach, a military approach. What the hell does that mean? We're already completely surrounding Korea. Um, with warships, we do constant military training and exercises essentially on their border. Well, it's a rhetorical escalation in a way that is unprecedented. Like at this whole time, like the rhetoric against North Korea has mostly stayed the same throughout the Bush and Obama administration. And this is definitely a step up. Right. So, I mean, it's, yeah. And, and I, and I think Trump is already doing, you know, you said it was a 400 or what was it? What increase in drone strikes was it exactly? Oh, 463 or 62. Yeah. 432%. percent increase. That already tells me that he's trying to show off. He doesn't need to do all these things this quickly into his administration. There's no pressing need, you know, for him to like increase things this fast. And it, you know, at first I thought, oh, he's trying to make good on his like 
you know, swagger, like, you know, taking like his dick out. Eliminating and wants to, like, ISIS. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if that's it. I think that he, this is actually, you know, he is bloodthirsty and militaristic and this is a really dangerous and scary increase in this already, this quickly into the administration. I mean, where are all these people, you know, who are Trump supporters who are were mad that Obama was drone bombing all these people? Right. They're silent. Infowars just runs mad. zero articles about it. <laughs> but what I was saying earlier is that they were actually encouraging a, a first strike on North Korea. Infowars was. And they had um, Infowars reporters basically saying, why isn't the left ever talk about the people suffering in North Korea? The left, you know, is ignoring North Korea, blah, blah, blah. And here's Alex Jones saying that um, this is like he was basically echoing what Tillerson and, and Trump say about North Korea. And I'm thinking... This is absolutely horrific. Oh, my God. That they're just oh basically God. being loyal soldiers for a warmongering president. Um, really dangerous. But, yeah, I mean, and, that's, and, that's where we are. Yeah. And, and going along with that is the media, when they cover this, they're just like, what is Trump going to do? What is he going to do about North Korea? It's like, what do you mean? What is he going to do about North Korea? What is happening? Oh, yeah. The media what is happened? not even pushing back against it very much at it's all. It's crazy. It's really fascinating. They're actually how- acting like he's like a pussy. They're like, well, he's he's not taking a hard enough line on North Korea. It's like, what is he? What the fuck would be good enough for you guys? Yeah. You want to be at war with North Korea? Is that where we're at? Yeah. And Abby, I saw something really disturbing uh, the other day on Fox News. They had... Um, General Jack Keane, I think from, he's the chairman for the Institute for the Study of War. And he was extremely excited about Trump's willingness to send in ground troops. And they were basically having a discussion um, about how, wow, Obama was so weak and, you know, it was, it was made, you know, made everybody so queasy to send in American ground troops. But like, isn't this great that Trump is willing to do these things? You know, this is like a whole new era. And the guy was like, yeah, this is great. We need to eradicate. Like, this is a guy from the Institute yeah, for the Study of War. Yeah, we need to teach North Koreans a lesson. Saying we need to eradicate <laughs> ISIS. Like, we need to uh, completely destroy ISIS. I mean, you would you know that the people at Institute for Study of War are smart enough to know that's not even physically possible. <laughs> like, what would you even do? Even if you nuked right. Iraq and Syria, how would you get? How would you eradicate ISIS? Yeah, it's exactly. like Al-Qaeda. It's a brand. It doesn't matter. It's like, this is the problem with this mindset. It's, you can't eradicate a brand. It's already there. I mean, it just, so. And every one of these drone strikes are killing how many, God knows how many civilians. Like it's just a vicious, endless cycle. And and And, and it's going to be another ISIS later on. That's even more brutal and more vicious as a result of what we're doing. And all these anti-Russian hawks for, for years were, you know, while Russia was doing the bombings in Syria, we're trying to show how much more reckless Russia was with their bombing and how many civilians died under their bombings compared to us, which it was more, you know, that Russia was killing, mm-hmm. but not that really not that much more than we were killing, um, you know, relatively speaking. But now we're actually killing more civilians in Russia at a higher rate now that Trump yeah. has gotten in. This yeah. is already being shown in like statistical analysis of the civilian casualties. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's almost like. Like, how could they possibly be screwing up this bad? It's like every strike that he carries out kills just like a massive amount of civilians. First, it was the Yemen raid. Huge disaster. He just wanted to get something under his belt to like pump mm-hmm. himself up. And it ended up being just like that chicken. Did you see that chicken on the internet? With that, there's like a, it looks like a human in a chicken suit. Yeah, what is that? It's absolutely insane. But Trump is like that. <laughs> 
chicken. He's just all puffed up, waltzing around, did this crazy raid, killed an enormous amount of civilians, didn't kill the guy that they claimed that was the target. Um, the father of the soldier who died in the raid, like, won't refuses to even speak with Trump. It's just a complete shit show. Fast forward to the raid. I'm sorry, the bombing of the mosque in Syria after the U.S. is yeah. harping on Russia for months and months for all their war crimes. Oh, and don't um, forget to mention that in between that, he escalated the bombing campaign in Yemen to the most bombing, most active military campaign we've ever done in Yemen. So like on after the raid, he started aerial bomb, like bombarding all over Yemen. And yeah, then, yeah. And no then longer Syria... just providing tactical support. Like before we were just providing, ta- even though it's horrifying, yeah. tactical support and weapons shipments to Saudi Arabia. Now we are literally like bombing with, with them. With yeah. them. And one of the most egregious like, civ- like civilian death tolls ever. I mean, this is oh. the Saudi-Yemen war. You can hardly call it a war. It's a Saudi massacre of Yemeni civilians. Um, is one of the worst on record. Uh, oh, it's and but yet we're supposed to care about um, humanitarianism, Robbie. How come we're not hearing about Yemen? That's so weird. It's all just about Assad and Syria, and and all these liberals um, try to demonize you and um, you know will blacklist you from events even if you dare to talk about what we're doing in Syria. Yet Yemen is just somehow exists largest humanitarian crisis in the world. It was already the poorest, most. Um, food-hungry places in the Middle East before the war started. Like you said, it's not a war, it's just a bombing campaign. But now it's, I mean, millions and millions of people are on the verge of starving to death. It's just absolutely insane. And not one person on the media cares to talk about it. Very interesting, the, the picking and choosing of humanitarian crises and, and where the U.S. Um, chooses to provide support or chooses to provide military bombing Yeah, and here we have all these people. claims. <laughs> and I'm not saying that they're entirely untrue. I don't know for sure if they're made up but we had all these claims of like thousands of people being hung in the streets by Assad you know and 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 murdered on the spot um like about a month ago like trying to flee right. Syria like refugees which we never saw any evidence for um I don't even see any eyewitness testimony of it we're all just supposed to believe this giant massacre basically a you know a mass execution took place and and then at the same time you have the U.S.-backed Saudi coalition in Yemen that just massacred, um, how many people? It was 42 Somali refugees killed in a boat, a refugee boat off the coast of Yemen by a Saudi Apache helicopter. They literally murdered in cold blood every single person on the boat. And I, I can't even wrap my mind around and how And they had U.N. paperwork showing their like refugee status on this boat. And there's a, a horrifying picture of someone, you know, who came to the scene afterwards holding up this piece of paper and it's completely soaked in blood, this UN paperwork. And it's I mean, a little UN paperwork trying to basically grant them citizenship or refugee status. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to so cry right now. I feel sick. Yeah, it, it is. And this is just, this is just a, a shocking example of how the media is just completely fixated on making Assad look like the world's number one monster. And at the same time, we're helping Saudi Arabia do this. And they just murdered 42 refugees. Like, Dude, they weren't this even... is the saddest thing in the world. You guys need to look this up and just look at these blood-soaked documents. It's fucking horrifying. And I don't even know if this was... There's not even any claim made that Saudi thought these... Um, Saudi Arabia thought these people were soldiers or, 
you know, I don't know what what their excuse was for shooting this boat, but it's just like they can get away with this shit and nobody cares. That's how powerful, how much influence Saudi Arabia has. Just like when Israel does stuff like this. Yeah, and 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 the the, the North Korea thing scares me a lot because people are so malleable and susceptible to propaganda. Like how quickly the Syria thing took off and and basically has like divided the left and all this stuff. The same thing could happen with North Korea, but even quicker because everyone already hates North Korea. It's like, even I like continue to have to say, I'm not apologizing for North Korea, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's like, it's like every, the propaganda is already so deep seated in North Korea that it wouldn't take much yeah. to begin to rally that war. It would mm-hmm. be very quick and very sudden. And that's scary because no one knows what to believe. You know, there's stories every day that can't be verified. It's just, you can put whatever you want out there and ever, anyone would believe it. Yeah, I mean, and, this, and the scary thing is North Korea and ISIS are two, like, targets that I think most of the left, and I don't even mean, like, the real left, I mean, like, most of the left side of the spectrum, like, won't really care about too much. Like, this, this disturbing right. part to me, Abby, is that we've gone from, like, most people on the left knew that targeting Al-Qaeda and using Al-Qaeda as a scapegoat to wage war in the Middle East was, like, a kind of, like, a bullshit you know, maybe not a complete lie, but most people thought that it was like an excuse to wage war. Um, but now it's like we've gotten so ingrained that ISIS is this ultimate evil and that they are so egregious and horrible and, you know, and look what they do to their, you know, to gays and women that I don't even think most people on the left would care that much if we, you know, just if we just massacred all of ISIS like at once or something. Or yeah, like, because yeah, especially just being told that that's what's happening. Like, yeah, yeah, we just killed a million ISIS combatants. People would be like, oh, crazy. Yeah. I mean, what is, where, where did the mindset go that like these people are actually human beings? Some of them who are sucked into a really uh, awful situation who maybe they don't have any choice. I mean, that's, that's something that's like not being discussed here. It's like if ISIS really is taking over all these giant swaths of land I mean, which we know they are, then the people are basically subjugated under them. Yeah, I mean, of even other ISIS soldiers of like, are forced to fight and stuff or they're or they have to make a calculation where it's like, do I want to get killed or like, do I, do I have want to escape here or should I like fight for ISIS? I mean, it's just so sad to me that we're, we're looking so many people are looking at ISIS as like they're subhuman people. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. And it's so crazy how propaganda works because back when it was just the war on Al-Qaeda, it seemed like they were way more humanized and there was way more of a of like a weight on the whole judge, jury and executioner thing. Like, why are we executing people without trial? Yeah. Who are these people? And now it's just like dozens and dozens of ISIS fighters, so-called, are getting like slaughtered every day and we have no idea. It's almost just like a background noise. No, because they've been dehumanized to the point where they're the they are the ultimate evil. I mean, and and also like ru- like the way that the Russians look at um, ISIS and and even a lot of people from Russian media I see talking about it think that they're pigs that they're you know they're scum they're animals. I mean, it's it is a very it's they're 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 dehumanized to a point where I've never seen like an adversary dehumanized like since we've been really politically engaged. Right. Um, and that's really disturbing precedent, regardless of how disgusting and how horrifying ISIS is. It still is a disturbing precedent that we've gone we've gone from like understanding that you know 
even though, you know, Al-Qaeda, you know, believes in things that the left doesn't believe in, that we shouldn't be indiscriminately murdering them all over the world. Right. That seems to be lost now with ISIS. Like we've lost that understanding that it's still not right to just go and bomb countries that have ISIS in them simply because ISIS is quote unquote the ultimate evil. I mean, that just doesn't, it's, it's still, it shouldn't hold water still, but somehow it's okay now. Right. Um, and I feel like we've crossed sort of a weird, I don't know, they don't want to call it Rubicon, but we've crossed over this threshold where now it's like more acceptable to do this kind of bombing, you know, and murdering of, of terrorists or whatever than it even was before. That's what makes it, I think, this even more dangerous of an era than post 9-11. Because at least right after 9-11, there still seemed to be some understanding and pushback. Yeah, exactly. You can't just bomb these countries. Right. That's what got us in. Yeah. Why do they, why do we think that ISIS came to be? Like, uh, can't we trace the steps back even just 10 years and see that the Iraq war and Libya bombing campaign and all the destabilization of these governments is what caused ISIS to, to foster and grow? So why the hell are we just doing the same exact thing? It's just, it's absolutely surreal. One of the more disturbing things about this North Korea war drum beating um, is that you would think that the mainstream media, you know, they're being completely adversarial towards Trump in a, you know, in kind of a dumb way right now. They're obsessed with this wiretapping claim that he made on Twitter. Um, they're obsessed with the Russian connections. But yet when it comes to something extremely dangerous and volatile like North Korea, they're actually beating the war drums on CNN, on NBC, on Washington Post, Um Almost none of the the reports on this Rex Tillerson North Korea escalation are mentioning that it's that it's it's bad to escalate the situation. Mm-hmm. They're all just sort of like matter of factly explaining North Korea's you know missile tests and then showing North Korea acting all crazy like on their own TV channel and stuff. And um, I just find it fascinating that when it comes to war and the military industrial complex and pushing for you know basically a new military confrontation. This so-called adversarial, you know, mainstream media against Trump is just disappears. And if you didn't know any better, it would seem like they're actually pro, you know, escalating with North Korea. I mean, Wolf Blitzer, all these people on CNN, just not no pushback at all against this. Yeah, isn't that funny that it's pushback against almost everything else he's doing except like the things that Democrats would do too, which is all the war, all the yeah. imperialistic, militaristic buildup. Um the neoliberal tactics. Yeah. Uh, like we were saying before, I mean, the corporate fraud, like in the budget, it's like none of that is addressed at all. Interesting. Yeah. And this is also, it's also interesting how the people who, you know, were claiming to be anti neocon alt right, it's like they're not seeing the obvious, uh, the obviousness of this situation. What are the two countries that Trump already started escalating tensions with when he got into office? What are the Iran two main. Iran and North Korea. Exactly. And what are what is Iran and North Korea's importance to neoconservatism? Well, it happens that James Woolsey, John Bolton, and all these neocon outliers who are actually more crazy than most of the original PNAC signatories, their prize has always been North Korea and Iran. That to them, that's the main like problems that we're facing in the world is those regimes that eventually we need to somehow take them down. Um, so. What's happening now is that Trump's administration is pushing harder against North Korea and Iran, just like those neocons wanted. 
So I within find it, weeks, what? weeks, weeks. Yeah, it's with it like immediately <laughs> into nuts. his administration. So I don't care that James Woolsey is not officially part of the administration. I don't care that John Bolton's not deputy secretary of state. We already know John Bolton is advising Trump. John, uh, Trump has spoken very highly of him uh, since he's gotten into office. We kn- we don't know what his role is, but he's ar- he's talking to Trump, you know, about these these um, military endeavors, obviously. And yeah, these people all like to say that the neocons aren't involved, but like you just said, he's he's latched himself onto the most fringe outlier neocons who were considered too probably way too far and too crazy for the mainstream neocon establishment. That's who's in power. Yeah. That's who's in power right now. Yeah. Is that and, good? And 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 then of course Frank Gaffney is the one who came up, you know, who inspired the Muslim ban based on his completely phony poll. That went viral online, including with people like Sam Harris, who spread his poll around. Um, so it's just it is really disturbing um, to think that he is basically doing things that the neocons wanted. The only thing he's not doing is like going above and beyond what Obama did with Russia. I mean, that's the thing about this whole and we're going to talk about that on the next episode. But this whole idea that uh, that Trump is being super soft on Russia You'd have to make the same accusation against Obama. Um, and and I'll, I'll go into the more. De- there's a lot of stuff to unpack about that later. But basically, we're, we're already escalating with North Korea. We're sending boots on the ground into Syria and Iraq. And this is not just what Obama was doing when he went up, went against his promise to not send boots in the ground in Syria. And he spent, sent in special forces and military trainers. This is actual paratroopers, like regular troops um, to fight ISIS. So 2,500 paratroopers, um, have already been sent to Kuwait. Apparently there's already 50,000 troops stationed and they are, they're always stationed around Kuwait and around Iraq, like in the UAE and different places. But the Pentagon plan, they're projecting that the troops could increase to 80,000 troops in the area in the coming oh months. Oh my God. So isn't that amazing that that's just on disposal, like just sending that many troops on top of the ones that are already stationed there. People don't realize how many troops we have stationed in those areas. No, it's fucking incredible. And this is, this is coming from the guy who said no nation building. Um, so, okay, let's say he's not going to nation build. So he's going to do everything else, but nation build, just destroy these countries, but not nation build. I mean, that, so that's, is that an (laughs) anti-neocon promise? That's bullshit. I mean, this is this is horrible. What's happening right, right now? This right. is already escalating the Middle Eastern war on terror, the endless war on terror from when Obama left it at the drones, the troops. So, and he's already sent, um, or sorry, he's sending. So he's already sent the twenty five hundred to Kuwait, um, and he's sending uh, one thousand troops into Syria for boots on the ground operations. This is not just advisory or training roles. This sets a horrible precedent. We are going to be waging, um, if not a full-scale war, a, some kind of ground assault in, in very short order here. Um, and the scary thing is, again, the mainstream media com- will completely go along with this. They're not pushing back against this shit at all. And right. even when Obama did put ground troops in as an advisory role, the media was doing all these ride-alongs with the, the U.S. soldiers in Syria um, like, you know, going in their Humvees and stuff, showing them shooting ISIS targets and super excited about it. 
embedded with the troops, just like in 2003. Same bullshit, same uh, adrenaline junkie bullshit, these reporters going over there, you know, hanging out with the soldiers. It's just the same thing, repeating itself over, over again. Um, so and disgusting. And then on top of that, this, uh, and we're going to go into this in the next episode in more detail, but this is just, you know, if you're, if you're okay with Trump, you know, basically murdering brown people and Arabs and Muslims, you know, if you're one of those alt-right people, then maybe you won't be so okay with this, which is that Trump, um, at the end of March is sending a thousand U.S. NATO soldiers, um, to Poland, um, for a total of 4,000 troops from all different NATO countries to go, you know, against Russia's border in Poland to deter Russian aggression. This is on top of the troops that, that Obama already sent out, uh, to deter Russian aggression right before he left office. Remember how we were saying, oh, you know, maybe Obama's trying to push Trump into a conversation. You know, he's like sending these troops right before he leaves. Well, guess what? Trump's never sent him back and is sending more troops to deter Russian aggression. One, 800 UK NATO troops are being sent to Estonia to deter Russian aggression. This oh is all God. happening right now and it's going to continue to grow. So I just want to stress... If you're a Trump supporter and you wanted him to do a detente with Russia, you need to be speaking out right now. If you're carrying water for Trump and you're just ignoring this and you're defending him, then you are a, you're just a bad American citizen. You're not you're, you're not a bad playing, global citizen. You're a bad globalist. You're, yeah, joking. you're not playing a role here, an important role. You're just being a water carrying sycophant. And I don't care how much you hate the liberal media or the leftists or hate Hillary Clinton. You're being a hypocrite if you're not putting his feet to the fire. Yeah, exactly. At all. And these people all just refer back to, well, Hillary would have started World War Three. It's like, dude, that doesn't matter anymore. Like right you now, Trump is leading us down a very dark path. And how do we know Trump's not going to lead us into World War Three? Right. Yeah, exactly. He seems so volatile personality wise that if this is really some kind of like I used to describe this as Operation Mindfuck Donald Trump, mm -hmm. like the whole idea to make it to make him feel this immense amount of pressure to the point where he doesn't have any political wiggle room to do a detente with Russia. I mean, if he, you know, it almost feels like he's already in that position. I'm not making any ex excuse for him whatsoever. I'm just saying that if he's so easily rattled, it's not going to take very much for like the establishment or whatever, you know, these forces that want to go to war with Russia to rattle him enough to be like, no, look, I am well, strong they've already on Russia. Rattled him. They've already prevented him from doing a, any sort of detente whatsoever. And not well, yeah. they, he probably never really cared about it. He just was using that as a political chip against Hillary Clinton because he saw how insane the yeah. whole campaign was against Putin, blaming him for everything. He probably scanned the, the political arena and was like, wow, this is having zero effect on me. Um, might as well double down on it. And yeah, it's totally their fault. But I don't think that he ever really had the intent of working with Putin. He doesn't care. Um, and because because then, yeah, that's basically giving him an excuse and being like, oh, they're forcing him to not do these things. Like, And, and you know, we don't know if that's true at all. But Yeah, um, and I think it, that he's mm -hmm. going to, it'll be extremely all too easy for him to do something to show the world that he's tough on Russia that will actually you know, probably go many steps further than what Obama was willing to do. Because we already know that as much as, you know, a lot of the people want to put everything on Obama for escalating tension with Russia, 
he was actually trying to pull things back and he was being pulled in all these different directions. And I'm not, again, I'm not making excuses for Obama, but he didn't vote. Uh, he did not authorize arms to be sent to Ukraine, even though that had bipartisan support. So what's it going to take to pressure Trump to sign off on that? I mean, once you sign off on that, it's all, it's over. There's no way of pulling that back. We're, we will get completely embroiled in a full blown additional proxy war. And all these Trump supporters who the two things that were the most promising about Trump's foreign policy and how it differed from Hillary's, um, is that the Saudi Arabia stuff, he's going to stand up to Saudi Arabia. He's going to stop all this, um, all this aid to Saudi Arabia, all these weapons shipments and the Russia thing, the detente. We want to work with Putin. This is ridiculous. Those two things, which were the only promising things literally of like Trump's platform, complete reversal, hundred percent. And everything else he's ramming down exactly what he said he's going to do. It's just the two good things ended up being exactly the opposite. Isn't that interesting? It's it's extremely interesting, especially coming from the only candidate who brought up the 28 pages on the campaign trail. He said, you will find out who knocked down the World Trade Centers. Some He's like, I'll tell you, it's it's not the Iraqis, it's the Saudis. You might find out it's the Saudis. So he already knows. I mean, he's not he's he's smart enough to know about that. Yet he's meeting with the um, uh the um what's his name i'm i'm trying to he he met with the saudi prince um about a week ago and he treated him so much more respectfully than he did angela merkel i mean he he acted like he was his best bud shook hands with him um even talked with the saudi prince about dropping the us law that allows 911 victims to sue the kingdom of saudi arabia so, oh, isn't that nice that he wanted to shake his hand, but yet he was disgusted with even the thought of shaking An- Angela Merkel's hand. How how nice. Yeah. That he and was they, gra- so gracious to the Saudi king. Nice. And how job. funny is it that the Saudi Saudi prince says that he wants to do a reset with U.S. and Saudi relations as if the previous administration treated them so horribly, <laughs> like like sending what? them all this money for weapons <laughs> and, and, and helping them, you know, bomb Yemen. Um so apparently they're going to have an even more positive relationship nice. now. Oh, and good. we're already That's embroiled really what we need. in a war that they started um, and that they're now indiscriminately murdering refugees, like in oh cold blood God. on boats leaving the, the Yemeni coast. And this, is, Reset. and this is what Trump approves. So all that bullshit of Trump fighting with the Saudi prince on Twitter and stuff, I mean, it doesn't, it's, doesn't matter anymore. He's best buds. So... Um, yeah, it's just incredibly funny how all these alt-right people who are railing against Saudi Arabia and all this stuff, yeah, they're just silent yeah. now. They're gone. Uh, Infowars doesn't even talk about this stuff. It's all stuff about leftists um, and how awful leftists are and the mainstream media, the fake news. It's like they can't even defend it. Right. You know, it, so that really not. says a lot that they're no, just ignoring not. it. Oh, yeah. And all the people at Infowars who are going along with this are complete shills, 100%. There's no, I mean, there hasn't been an excuse for a long time, but in the Trump era, wow. Um, you definitely have to, to scan that website and just take it in as, as really understanding how much they are shilling for the establishment, for empire, for war, for all of the horrible things that they were rallying against yeah. the police state. I mean, this is, this is, they are the establishment. I, I have to keep going back to that Paul Joseph Watson 
um, whiny Twitter thing that he kept saying, we're, we're the counterculture. You guys are the establishment. It's like, no, dude, you have the sitting president of the U.S. empire. That's as an establishment as it gets, baby. Yeah, Hollywood ain't to shit Jones compared to that. You're sitting on the nuclear weapons, bro. Yeah. That is the establishment. Don't give me this bullshit. And also Goldman Sachs. There's like five Goldman Sachs bankers in the administration. So all these people who are all against Saudi Arabia and Goldman Sachs for, you know, even Snowden was like 2016 is a choice between Goldman Sachs and Donald Trump. It's like, mm, I don't know if that's really true, Snowden. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, what's going to happen for a lot of these websites like Gateway Pundit, Drudge, I mean, maybe not as much Drudge, but We Are Change, Infowars, even Breitbart. They're actually going to ruin their brand slowly over time by continuing to defend the sitting president. What do you mean slowly over time? It's over. No, I mean, I know, but I mean, even even for their own means, I feel like their own presence is going to be diminished over time, like their web traffic, because, yeah, it might seem like you're being anti-establishment by supporting Trump right now, I guess. It's somehow that still carries on, but eventually... It's just not going to, it's not going to hold up. I, and I, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do think that, um, you know, co- like going after sitting power is ultimately the most powerful form of journalism. So the more they do to try to defend the president, it's just going to make them less powerful. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. Yeah. The more like softball, like, like coverage of like all right people and like Gavin McGinnis, like all this friendly um, cross coverage of these people is going to be, it looks extremely bad. You're not doing your fucking job as a journalist. You're not a journalist. You're a complete propaganda shill who has zero principles or values. If you just all of a sudden have given up being adversarial to power, what the hell are you doing? You think the left is is who you need to be attacking right now? Good luck. No. And it's, it's such a weird binary false binary too it's like because they think they're you know they're against the msm um, right that they're anti-establishment but no you're for the president you're def- you're <laughs> constantly bending over backwards to defend the president to be truly anti-establishment you have to call out both institutions at once yeah they're the just calling out the liberal they, they think it's the like MSM. the liberal media but then they're pro like crazy conservative media outlets like gateway pundit it's like oh that's cool yeah and they're all that's lockstep. still anti-establishment even they're, though they're in the press corps they're they're ju- they're just as lockstep as the mainstream media now and that's a new exactly. thing i mean they used to have some differing opinions you know before trump got in there was actually i'd say a huge split and fracturing of the conservative movement where you'd listen to right-wing talk radio and you would hear vastly different opinions. You know, some of them were very anti-Trump at the time. And now that Trump's in, it's all about bashing the left and the Democrats again. So now they're like all sort of on the same team again, you know? Yeah. And and um, I really encourage everyone to check out the Bannon piece because it, like we were saying before, they know how to tap into what people are really suffering from. Um, neoliberal, neoliberal economic policies and stuff. But Bannon, if you look at, some of his propaganda films over the last decade, a lot of the themes are, you know, of course, other than the anti-Occupy Wall Street theme one and the pro-Sarah Palin film that he made an entire film about Sarah Palin trying to do what he did with Trump to her. It didn't work. But but a lot of his films are talking about, you know, the demise of the middle class and, and the fall of Judeo-Christian values and really blaming it again on the civil rights movement, anti-racist movements, um, basically millennials. And it's just very fascinating because it's just going back to the whole left, 
you know, blame the left, even though the left has never had any power. And it's really just these giant grassroots movements that even try to push the liberals, like eking them to the left. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see where he really sees like the fall of this, this country, you know, the fall of our culture and, and, and tracing it back to that because he has this fawning loyalty to Reagan and everything Reagan represents. So it is very disturbing. Um, and it, it, but it gives a lot of important insight about where our discourse is right now and how binary it is and, and where these thoughts come from and who is breeding them. And I really do think that, that, um, Bannon has a lot to do with that. Um, but let's wrap, let's wrap this up because, um, really quickly before we wrap it up, I wanted to direct people towards. So if you watch Abby's Bannon episode, the next, next thing to do after that, I think is to look into who mainly funds Breitbart, which is a crazy billionaire named Robert Mercer, Mm -hmm. totally part of the elite class. Um, he's actually put out statements saying he thinks that people within a certain blast radius of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki were made healthier by the radiation. Um, he's an absolutely nuts right-wing billionaire. And he has the largest collection of machine guns in the country. And all, all these people, you know, on in the alt-right calling, you know, George Soros, the globalist, the leftist globalist, that's, it's such a dumb worldview to think that every, you know, so-called globalist, elitist, oligarch, billionaire is on the left. Like, that's just a naive, weird thing to think. Like, that doesn't reflect the, um, the population or any other statistical analysis. So uh, there's people on the right, too. And there's people who are on the extreme right who are elitist billionaires, like this guy Mercer, um, who everybody should look into. Um, and Frank Gaffney, who is the originator. He's like the intellectual um, version of Pamela Geller. I use intellectual, you know, in quotes. Loosely. Um, him and Sebastian Gorka, who actually serves in the Trump administration, Gorka does, are some of the most intense purveyors of this sort of bigot, bigotry Islamophobia. And I put bigotry before Islamophobia because I'd say normal Islamophobia is like Sam Harris, who I believe is also a bigot. But what these people do is they take every you know, everything that a normal person would consider bigoted against Islam and, and create this intellectual underpinning... Uh, for it to the point where, um, you know, Frank Gaffney will be saying all the same things Geller says, but he'll say it sounding like Robert Kagan. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a whole new thing that we have to face too, is that there's actually people like this in his administration. Sebastian Gorka is a fucking nut job. Wasn't Um, he the one that was wearing the Nazi medal? Yeah, he's wearing a Hungarian mm-hmm. medal that from a um, an old military unit that used to collaborate with the Nazis, and he's got some very weird um, white supremacist connections too. So, and he and when he was confronted about it finally after Loblog um, exposed it, he said, "Oh, you know, I wear this to honor my father." The thing is, people traced that that group back in Hungary, and they said he's absolutely a member, sworn for life. You don't wear the medal unless you're a card-carrying member of our group. <laughs> and they still don't let Jews in. No. So it's so. like, yeah, you could argue that it was like, yeah, they had to collaborate with the Nazis like during World War II, but somehow they're still extremely <laughs> anti-Semitic. <laughs> so make of that what you will. And yeah, read Eli Clifton stuff. We did an, I yeah. did an interview with Clifton last last podcast yeah check it out this. on media roots radio they they um they talk extensively about that but um let's wrap it up and and uh we're gonna do a whole other podcast about vault seven about more about the russia stuff but we just wanted to sum this up just by kind of laying bare trump's blatant 
um, over, you know, just really disturbing militaristic ramp up and, and how, how fast it's going, um, how much he's escalating things in every region of the world. He's taking basically Obama and Bush's strategy and combining them yeah. on top of the escalation of, of military spending, defense spending. It's, it's very frightening. This is what they want. You listen to Bannon talking about um, America first. This is this is their whole vision is deconstructing the bureaucratic um, government and, and emboldening and strengthening the militaristic front more like you were saying more than you ever need. Um, it just it's just nuts. So we have to be extremely aware, astute. We have to be pushing back. I, I even had some guy arguing with me who's a Trump supporter and he was like, I really dislike the Bannon episode, he was like, I, but I also really dislike what Trump's doing in Yemen and all this stuff. I was like, then you have to keep the pressure up. If you don't keep the pressure up about that, and if that's why you voted for him, then what the hell are you waiting for? I mean, good God, are we just going to sit back and let this happen? Especially since the media is totally complicit in selling this. Democrats yeah. aren't going to do shit. I mean, so look, we have mm -hmm. look back to Syria. I mean, the first major turning point when it seemed like all signs were pointing towards we're going to invade Syria and take out Assad after the chemical weapons red line thing. There was a lot of public pushback to that, but all it took was a last minute decision internally by the White House to not to reverse on that. So these things, you know, and arguably it was because of a lot of public pressure too. So no, of course. And that's the thing is Trump will listen to people because that's all he cares about is what exactly. people say about him. So if his own supporters start complaining about some of these bad things he's doing, it's extremely valuable. You need right. to do that. And I know that we probably turned off a lot of people on the all right. I'm sure we barely have any listeners who are Trump supporters left. But if you're listening now, please, this is your duty. I mean, if like if I if me or Abby had voted for Hillary Clinton, for example, which we wouldn't have, we would be putting immense pressure on her. I mean, it's that's your job, I think, to do as a voter. It's your job doesn't end just with voting. You can't defending your president, just carrying water for them is not it's just not valuable to anyone. It keeps no. the partisan division intensified. It just dumbs down everything. Um and uh, if you don't know already, we're on Patreon um, and you could donate to us per per podcast. So you get charged only when we release a new podcast. Um, so look up Media Roots Radio on Patreon.com um, and please uh, donate to help keep the podcast going. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Fluorescent Gray, E-Y, um, at Abby Martin. And um, donate to our Patreon. And thanks so much for listening, everyone. Peace. B.